You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. This morning, we're continuing in this series that we started last week called Come and Belong, where we're taking up Jesus' invitation to belong to him and to his body, the church. And in this series this fall, we're looking at those biblical traits that uh, make this community, the church, uncommon or distinct, different uh, than any other uh, ordinary group or team or family or association out there. And see, here's the thing. When it comes to uh, people in general, uh, you can go online and search any of the, uh, the surveys that are taken or the research that has been done uh, individually or corporately. You'll find these results that people in America are lonely. They're longing for meaningful connections, meaningful relationships, especially within the body of Christ. And maybe you find yourself there this morning. We are lonely. You are looking for these types of connections. Maybe it's because you're uh, new to New Braunfels. You make up the new of New Braunfels. Moved here for a job or for some other reason, and you are trying to connect with people uh, here in the city and in this church. Maybe it's uh, not you're not new to the area, but you're new to the stage of life in which you are in now. You've just been recently married. You're no longer single, and you're adjusting to uh, being married and forming uh, connections with other uh, married people. Or your kids have recently moved out, and uh, and and your life and, and your schedule has just uh, taken on. Uh, a whole nother uh, uh, dimension as you're no longer running all over the state to uh, soccer games and things and now you suddenly have free time for more relationships and the thing is though we as a community if people are, are are more connected digitally than ever before we are relationally distant where we know more information about uh, celebrities and, and friends that are a thousand miles away than the people next door to us and maybe even the row in front of us. And why is that? Why are we lonely? Why are we relationally disconnected? And maybe more importantly, what's the remedy for it? See, loneliness isn't a new dynamic humanity though the circumstances are different in our day and the challenges are are maybe different but the causes and the solutions are the same and that's where this one another this morning from romans 15 7 is part of god's good and wise design for us that is so transformative for the body of christ and for the world around us let me just look at this i want to read our our verse for us today because it's really the link of the larger context which we will look at as we go but i want to just read this simple verse for us here it is romans 15 7 says this therefore welcome one another as christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. 
Now, this is God's word for God's people, and it's a very simple command. It follows really the same structure as we saw last week in that opening one another of loving one another. The command to do so, a command that we'll have to fully understand with the example or the standard set in Christ and the motivation or the impact that it has outside of us, in this case, to the glory of God. And like I said, it's the link because the therefore in the verse attaches to the previous section, which we will look at, and the end also uh, it connects to what comes after it. But here's the thing. Write this down in your notes as we think about our uncommon community and where this one another fits in. It's this. Welcoming is the front door to our uncommon community. Paul is teaching the Romans in this uh, passage on how to live. Eleven chapters of, of deep, deep theological truths and the ending chapters about how then we live this out in community with one another in the larger context of how we live through the gray issues of life, how we live through those, through, through those areas that, uh, that we, 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 we live with one another in unity and in uh, fellowship and charity. He uses this command to welcome one Another welcoming then is the open door to our uncommon community. The same way as love is the central activity of our uncommon community, which all these other one another's revolve around. Welcoming is that front door, the way into this uh, into this community that God has called us to. And so, before we go any further here, I think it will be helpful for us to have a, a a proper biblical definition of what it means to welcome, because it's another one of those terms that we use often, right? How many of you were greeted by or greeted somebody else this morning with a, a good morning, welcome, glad you are here? A few of you did, right? And don't we have an awesome welcome team? Uh, our whole hospitality team from the parking lot out there likely were greeted by somebody or shown where to park. Some of y'all just come speeding into the parking lot. I don't want to park there. I'm going to go look for a, one up front, right? Your parkway in the back, that's none of you, right? You're welcomed out there, welcomed out the front door, welcomed when you drop your kids in, engaged with somebody out in the welcome area out there as you came in here, the ushers greeted you and welcomed you. And so welcoming is much more, though, than just a warm smile and a greeting and an opening the door for somebody else. It's much more deep. It's much more profound here when we come to this idea. And now your Bible may not even say welcome. If you have a different translation than the ESV, what does it say? Therefore, Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. And even that word, that translation here, is fraught with a misunderstanding here. Because welcoming is more than just like Southern hospitality and holding the door open for somebody. And acceptance, we often like in our day to accept somebody means, usually means, or is to uh, just let them do whatever they want. Or if we say, just accept me for who I am, usually means I want you to just let me do whatever I want. And that's not the biblical idea here. It's, it's fraught with misunderstanding, and, and, and rightly so, because the gospel connection to the meaning of this word, what we are called to do in the example in Christ, really is inconceivable to the unbelieving mind. The idea here, it's the Greek word proslambano, it means to, to, to draw somebody near, to bring them near with special concern a receiving somebody into our life, into our home, into our circle of friends, into the concern and the margins of care that we have in our life. 
This is what uh, uh, Paul commands uh, Philemon to do in the book of Philemon with Onesimus, his uh, runaway slave as he comes to Christ and now Paul is sending him back. He says, he tells Philemon to welcome this brother in the same way or to accept him in the same way that you would do with, with me. And so give him the same reception, the same relational connection that you would do if I, uh, as Paul saying, if I were to come into your house. This idea of welcoming is the same reception that the father gives to the prodigal son as he returns uh, to his home. And so there's a gospel connection of bringing near, not just mere toleration or letting somebody uh, do what they want or just bringing uh, uh, them in with a warm smile. It is a bringing near to your life. We could simply define it this way. To welcome means uh, uh, for us to say, you near me. Like love is sacrifice and you before me to welcome somebody just simply says, I want you near me. Now, even when we, as we say that, that's just for simplicity's sake, not because we're like cavemen, right? Like you near me. <laughs> like, no. It's just to make it simple for us to remember this idea of welcoming is, is that is to define us as how believers bring one another close into our life, into our personal space, into our, into our home, into the personal margins of our life. And so that's the definition. I think we understand it. But the question with a command like this, especially one of such gospel importance, that is such a front door to our community, is the question then remains, how do we do this? Like maybe you're asking, like, okay, I get that, but how? What does this look like? How do we welcome without partiality, without discrimination? How do we bring others near to us? Well, that's what the surrounding text and the context uh, 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 instructs us in. See, here's the first point. If we're going to welcome without partiality, it involves then bringing others into our life. Write that down so you can see it. It's, it involves bringing others into our life. And so let's me read just the first six verses of the chapter because I think you'll see it here and it'll, it'll begin to add some color to how then we do this in our uncommon community. Follow along, beginning in verse 1 of Romans 15, it says this, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That's a quotation uh, from Psalm 69.9. Verse 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is God's word for God's people. Now note what he is saying in here as we're talking, how do we welcome? We bring others into our, uh, our life and he helps us see the difference at where we are as believers in our walk with Christ. And he uses this uh, language of strong and weak. And now uh, most of us, myself included, we like to think of ourselves as strong, like we're the strong one here, right? And the strong and weak, you could uh, maybe think of it in terms of like mature and immature, it's the reality that in this room, in our body of believers, in your own home, uh, followers of Christ are at different places in their sanctification. 
Some are farther along, more mature, and others are immature. And as we think of a large body like this, uh, you know, not that it's a comparison game, but there is a reality. Some people have just walked with Christ longer than, than others. Some are more mature. Some are stronger. You know, if you think of it like a tree, uh, we're all planted by streams of water, Psalm 1, and some are, are, are have been planted there a long time and have drunk deeply and have developed some endurance and some strength in the faith. And others are just new. They're young saplings, more fragile, easily uh, damaged, and can be trampled upon. Some have, yes, are in the water, but have been farther away from it and haven't been able to drink deeply of the, uh, of the knowledge of the Word of God. And the reality is some of us are just at different places. And as we bring people into our life, as we find ourselves in a place of maturity with others, we are to humbly lay down our liberties. As we bring them near, there are things that we uh, maybe have the liberty to do as Christians, but for the sake of others, we're going to please them and not live a life that just is simply about pleasing ourselves. And so with great humility... With Christ-like humility, as we bring others near, we can lay those aside for the goal of all believers, or at least it should be, that we are maturing in the faith, that we are building up one another, that we ourselves are ever-growing and always learning in the things of the Lord, that we are ever-growing and always learning with humility, seeking to please one another and to build them up. And so what does that look like? How do we, from a place of maturity or strength in this, and this maybe doesn't have anything to do with our spiritual maturity, but it just means helping the widow, the shut in those in a, in a time where they're, where, where they're disabled or can't get out or can't do the day-to-day -day things of just helping them with household things. Inviting them over, if they can get out, into just the rhythms of your life to uh, engage them in relationship. It's helping the single mom or the mom with lots of kids in the house with just the normal momming things. Helping bring meals and providing for families with new babies or in times of crisis. Just pleasing our neighbor and building up others as we bring them near. It's also uh, laying aside the, the uh, consuming of alcohol or other things that maybe we have the liberty to do as believers, but so as not to harm or hurt another believer, we lay them down. And note in all of this and in every one of these one another's, Jesus is the standard. So he comes in verse 3, right? Did Christ come? Did, he, did Christ leave heaven's throne to, for his own good pleasure? Not necessarily. Not merely just to please himself, right? He didn't just condescend and leave heaven and come to earth for his own pleasure. He came and endured the ridicule and the reproach of mankind to redeem those who would ridicule him. He went to the point of suffering. That's why he's quoting from Psalm 69.9. This lament psalm, Jesus went to the point of suffering for the good of others, laying down the liberties that he had as, as God putting on the confines of human flesh to live in this world and not amongst his friends, but amongst his enemies. And so with supreme, unparalleled humility, he then accomplished the harmony or the unity between God and mankind. And you can see the connection to the gospel there, I pray. All right, God, in, uh, in all of his, uh, his glory, Steps aside, God the, uh, as God the Son steps out of the throne and down into human flesh, living the perfect life that we were supposed to and couldn't, laying down his life 
that we might be saved. Accomplishing a reconciliation, accomplishing a unity that we could not do on our own so that we could be saved, so that we could turn from uh, living for ourselves, of seeking to just live a life to please ourselves or to build up our own resume or to build up our own bank account or to build up our own reputation, but rather now leaving behind that and taking up a life of building up the name and glory and fame of Christ, living according to a different standard of emptying ourselves so that others might know Christ. You see, this is the good news This is the gospel that he came near us and brought us into his family. See, that's the beauty of God. He then came and he brought us into his life. He brought us near, calling us sons and daughters. And as we find ourselves in a place of laying down our liberties so that others uh, can be brought near and welcome to us, in the same way, we also embrace the fact that we are the weaker brother in this and we have room to grow. And where we find that is growing in our understanding of the word of God. That's what he, what he comes to in verse 4. He's talking about what was written in, order, in older days that our, our growth, our maturity happens where this community and unity is, revolves around is around the scriptures. For what was written in older days or the former days? What part of the scripture is he talking about here, church? The the Old Testament, right? Paul's writing here to the church in Rome. It's kind of cool. He's being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this, and they have this now. But this isn't necessarily the scripture that they had. They are banking upon and living in light of the Old Testament. And he's saying the Old Testament here is what we need as we grow up in maturity. We take up this biblical wisdom. We welcome others. We bring those who are older and more mature into our life who help build us up in our understanding of the word of God. We welcome them in. We grow here as we bring uh, older, mature believers and we welcome the word of God in our life. And what does it do? Just look at verse 4. We, the Old Testament, what is it? It's the, or it's, what is the written in former times? The Old Testament is written for our instruction. That's what it does. It instructs us. What does it teach us? It teaches us to endure and to gives us encouragement. And what is the end result that we might have? Hope. Hope a competent expectation for better days ahead, a hope to keep on going when it is hard. And this is why we need the Old Testament. This is why we need believers in our life instructing us in these things, why we need it for our earlier books of the Bible, the Pentateuch and the instruction of the Proverbs. We all need the perseverance uh, that we see in the people of the Old Testament narratives as they trust the Lord through incredible difficulties and keep on going. We need the encouragement of the Psalms when our souls are downtrodden and destroyed And we all need the hope of the prophets of our Old Testament that are pointing us to greater days ahead in the coming reality of the Messiah. We need this. We need to be growing into it. We need to be welcoming and bringing others into our life to help teach us and to help bring discipline and self-control to help us who are struggling and hopeless in those times of need and this is this is the verse this is the idea that guides our biblical counseling and our soul care ministries why we center everything in the word of god because it leads to something there's a result in it personally yes we bring these we welcome people into it but look at what verses five and six teach us then as we bring others into our life what's the goal of this welcome That God, the source of that encouragement, endurance, the author of the Bible here, would cause us or grant us to live in harmony with one another. 
tell you what, some of us need some harmony in our marriages, don't we? Harmony in our families, some harmony in those uh, relationships that are strained, some harmony in our small groups. We're looking for this a harmony, a unity, a consensus that is in accord with Christ Jesus that also results in something not just horizontal, not just our, our, relational, uh, uh, our relational unity, but that together you may with one voice glorify God and Father who is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, this harmony, this welcoming here leads to a horizontal unity, but also vertical worship that together when we have one mind, we respond together in giving God the Father the praise and glory due his name. See, harmony of minds produces greater harmony of voices. It's powerful worship when people are united, right? When we're walking in unity and love for one another, when we are accepting and welcoming one another into each other's lives, there is a powerful worship there, but it is a dead worship when people are divided or are cold and unwelcoming towards one another. Case in point, what we experienced at man camp this week, guys, right? 202 guys. God, we, we broke, the, we broke the, the 200 barrier. Woo, right? We were praying, like, we were, made that appeal. We had 198 last week, and several other guys showed up, and we had 202 men there from various places, all centered around this idea and this motive of growing our, in our faith in Christ Jesus. And man, it was like, uh, the, the, you know, alarming decibels of singing <laughs> in that place, right? How many uh, wives, how many of your husbands came home and can hardly talk because their voice is gone from just like singing, right? So many. Praise God for that. What did we just experience even here? God's people together in this room, lifting our voices in praise and worship to the glory of God the Father. And so make the connection with me. Why does this, uh, in, uh, this command to welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed us, why is it so vital to our uncommon community? Why is it so crucial for us to grow in Christ? To accept one another. Because without it, Christ is deprived of the glory due to him. We must be a welcoming church like this. We must be bringing one another near. Because if this is what produces glory, if this is what produces worship, and his glory is one thing that we can't do without, then we need to, uh, we, we, we need to prioritize bringing others near, living in this way of bringing people in, of laying down our liberties and growing in Christ-likeness over and over and over again, of making the space to do this before the praise and glory and honor honor of Jesus Christ. We welcome without partiality by bringing people near. But thankfully, we don't have to guess about what this looks like. For again, we have the standard in Christ Jesus. I come back to verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another is the connection back to what proceeds uh, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And there's more that comes from it. And so the second thing here, Jesus has showed us how to welcome with partiality. And so what's it for us? We just need to be copy Christs, right? I know that's a goofy way to say something, you know, to be example, but think with me here, like we're to be copycats or we talk about being copycats. Kids are copycats. We're to be copy Christs. So the question remains, how then did Christ welcome us? 
were to be copy Christ, how did he welcome us? Well, the text will show us here in verses 8 to 13. I want to read it uh, for us so you can see. Verse 8 begins, it's like a, there's like a trailer hitch on, on uh, verse 8. That 4 is connecting to what precedes it here. Follow along as I read it. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I'll praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. That's Psalm 18, 49. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. It's Deuteronomy 32, 43. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Psalm 117, 1. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will all the Gentiles hope. That's Isaiah eleven ten. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This is, this is God's word for us this morning, but, but note this. See, we welcome other Christians into our life because Christ has welcomed us into his life. And he did this by welcoming indiscriminately both Jews and Gentiles. Why did he do it? For the praise of his glory. We welcome others, Christ has welcomed us, for the praise and glory of God. Did he welcome us and did he accept us on his, uh, uh, onto his team because he needed us? He needed our, our, our arm wrestling ability? No. Did he do it because we deserved it and we earned and worked really hard and so he was obligated to then uh, give us uh, this uh, prize? Did he do it because we were so lovable and great and cuddly? No, he did it to the glory of God. He saved us when we were his enemies. When we hated him, he welcomed us and brought us near and transformed us by his atoning blood. Christ's work was to be sent by the Father and he accomplished the plan in obedience and glorified. This glorified the faithfulness of God and the promises that he had made to the patriarchs along the way and, and, and opened up the mercy of God to the rest of the world. He did something. Christ did something that he had otherwise had no obligation to do. He went out of his way to save us, to bring us near to him. How did he do this? By serving us, by serving everyone without distinction. Look at verse 8, it says this, I tell you that Christ became a servant, literally a, a deacon, those who serve. We have great deacons in our church, don't we? Modeling this kind of Christ-likeness. But look at it, he says he became a servant to the circumcised, a euphemism for the Jewish people. That symbol of, of what set them apart to be distinct. But what? why? A servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness and to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Those promises, those things that God said he would do to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the, in, in the Old Testament patriarchs along the way, he did so. He served us. He brought us near to show that God can be trusted. When God says something in his word, it is as good as done. And all we have to do is continue to believe it and walk in obedience to show that God is a God of uh, his promises. He does not fail. And so he did. He served, he served them in doing this. And he also served the, the Gentiles. Look at verse 9. And in order that the Gentiles. That's another word that captures everybody else. Right? If you are a non-Jewish person, guess what banner you fall under? Gentile. All of us, regardless of skin color, regardless of where you, nationality, what language you speak. It's just to everybody else. 
that we might glorify God for his mercy, his mercy to bring it in. And those four examples are just to prove that this has always been the case from the law and and the Psalms and the prophets everywhere. This inclusion of the rest of the world was to be received with joy and hope. This was always part of the plan. And so the Jews, it magnifies his faithfulness to his word. And to the Gentiles, this saving work, his welcome, magnifies the mercy of God to include others into uh, this great mercy. So we welcome like Jesus when we serve others. When we serve others without discrimination, when we serve anybody uh, who is uh, uh, like us or unlike us. To magnify the faithfulness and mercy of God, we welcome one another when we bring others near in this way, copying Jesus and his saving work on our behalf. But even as I say that, as I talk about it, it's like, okay, we get that. But what about these situations? Does that mean we just welcome anybody? Does that mean we just bring near any old person? But let me just be clear about some things. What welcoming without partiality, what this is not referring to and what it does not mean is that we just all of a sudden become ecumenical, embrace all kinds of faiths and just associate with everyone who claims to have some allegiance with Jesus. It's not what this is speaking of. It doesn't mean that we're just tolerant of sin. And as Christians, we just welcome anyone. I mean, man, you might be just making a mess of your life and giving over to sin and you don't even care about it doesn't mean that we just become tolerant of sin. It doesn't mean that we're just spineless without conviction or simple without clear doctrinal belief or that we're just naive without any sort of discernment about uh, uh, who or what somebody believes in the things that they do. That's not what this is getting at. But what, is, what does it look like then? What does it look like to welcome without partiality? Well, it does. It's the simple things of simple hospitality, right? Serving people, of inviting uh, those that uh, you uh, don't yet know or are looking to get to know better. It's inviting them into your, into your house. Now, this welcome and hospitality are two different things, but, but uh, underneath this idea of welcome is the act of hospitality, of bringing others near, of enjoying a meal together, of enjoying time together. And this act of hospitality, this welcome that exists between believers... Now note this, this this is also a helpful distinction I I need to make it clear here, is that this welcome one another is is what we do as Christians. It's a sharing that we have that is an overflow of the salvation that has been shared with us. And even as we do so, this is the invitation for unbelievers into it. This type of of welcome and acceptance that can't exist elsewhere because it's it's an overflow of the gospel becomes an attractant into this uncommon community. I want to be welcomed like that. I want to be known and loved like this. I want to be forgiven in, in this welcome, in this drawing near with special concern. I want a part of that. And that is an open door for the gospel of Jesus to bring other believers into it. That's what it involves. It involves bringing others in. It, it's, it's not just an inviting in with meals, but it's also an invitation into, uh, from, the, from believers uh, uh, into the big decisions that you make in your life. Inviting them in, asking uh, for wisdom and counsel as you are trying to make a wise decision. It's inviting them into the dilemmas uh, of our life where we're not sure how to proceed or we're confused about this biblical truth or what the way of wisdom is. It's an inviting into others in the distresses of life. 
or anxious about things or worried or stressed. It's an inviting in, a welcoming without partiality of not just trying to find somebody that is uh, the same as us. The welcome and of bringing near is, involves our worship, involves how we view others, seeing past a socioeconomic status and befriending them just as a brother or sister in the Lord and not just as a charity case. It's a bringing near of somebody regardless of what they wear, just rejoicing that he or she is robed with the, with the righteousness of Christ. To seeing people differently, it's an inviting in, it's a bringing near and on and on the examples could go of what this practically looks like and how this plays out in the situations in your life, in your relationships, in your small group and all that. And I look forward to seeing the, the creative ways that you seek to specifically apply that uh, going forward. So we, this is what it's not, but this is what it is, is we seek to copy Christ. But let me just ask this question, why don't we welcome you think maybe we're sitting there like, yeah, I get it, okay, but I don't know about that. How would you, why, why don't you? What would you write down? We raise hand and go around in the service this morning, have everybody share. No, we won't do that this morning. Let me just, this up. Here's, here's some ways that, you know, as you look at the scriptures and just observe people, observe my own life, why, why don't we do this? Well, I think here's, here's just a few things. Is one is we get caught up in the tasks, right? We get caught up in the task, the busyness of life. It's that whole classic like Mary and Martha scenario from Luke uh, 10, 38 and, uh, through 42. And, and we're so busy. And this is the difference. This is like what Southern hospitality is. It's all about just like the busyness of serving people and forgetting the priority and the purpose of our welcome, of bringing people near with a special concern to know them and not just get caught up and or getting caught up in all the tasks that are going on. And it says in that text, like Martha was anxious about all that she had to do. The reality is, even as we talk about welcoming and, and including this into and we see the importance of it some of us are like just anxious we're like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have the time for that <laughs> we lack a plan we get caught up in all this and let me just remind us that anxiety is one of God's alarm bells that things are out of worship We've got misplaced priorities, that we're, we're lacking prayer in our life, and that anxiety is a, a call to just turn our, our attention back to the Lord, to reprioritize, to get our mind back fixed on the things of God, dwelling on what is most important. See, sometimes we just get caught up. We, we lack a plan. We, we don't know what to do. Or here's, here's maybe just some other heart motives in all this. We, we don't do it because we fear being known. We, 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 we fear we just like, well, I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to have anything to talk about with this person. I don't know like, if they're going to like the things that I like. You know, they may not like sports. I might like sports. They don't, like, they're just so different. See, here's the thing. We don't want to please them to get to, uh, to know what causes them to, uh, to find joy in their life and that what things uh, cause them uh, heartache and what's, you know, what, what they get up for in the morning. This is our opportunity to know them. We, we, we can fear that. We, we think sometimes we just we don't truly believe our identity is fixed and secure in Christ, that we're known and loved by him, and therefore out of the overflow of that, we can know and love other people as we extend the same mercy to others and hope to receive it from them as well. We fear being hurt by others. 
What if they say something that is, that is offensive? What if, the, what if I say something that is offensive? What if they say something that hurts my kids? And sometimes I think we fear this, this idea that our kids are going to be irredeemably influenced if we like bring this other person near us, right? Forgetting the transforming power of the gospel that welcomed us in and can welcome them into our own home. So what is it? What is, what is the obstacle in your life? What is it? How would you answer that? Why do we not? What keeps us from welcoming others and being known of, of bringing them near into your personal space to the glory of God? But see, here's the thing, church. The more we immerse ourselves in the gospel, the more we understand what Christ has done for us, the more that we are in awe that Jesus would welcome us into his family, calling us sons and daughters, that he would take we who are his enemies and make us his friends, that we who are strangers are now his sons and daughters. The more we are in awe of that of the gospel, it leads us to greater worship, to the glory of God, and it gives us eyes to see others as fellow recipients benefactors of the mercy of God as brothers and sisters with immeasurable value and in a, in, in a status that cannot be taken away in the family of God. See, in an uncommon community, the way God has designed the church centered around Jesus, there's joy in being known uh, by others and knowing others. There's peace instead of a fear of being rejected or unloved because the Prince of Peace has known us and has not rejected us. There's hope for change and growth and maturity through the work of the Holy Spirit, knowing that He is the one who does it, even as we just take our steps of obedience. And so, church, even as we come to this now, we see it's important. We see the standard. See the glory of God that is at stake here, the invitation to stand, to come and belong to an uncommon community, a place that is imperfect, yes, but where loneliness is vanquished, where unity is cherished and sought to be maintained, and worship is treasured because Christ is treasured.